0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by
1: Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving all of in June.
0: get started today at plushcare.com weightloss. that's plushcare.com weightloss. plushcare.com weight loss
3: west side fairy tales is a dark fiction and horror podcast the story you are about to hear is violent and disturbing exercise discretion before listening Previously on Scars in Time Ash is reconnected with her longtime agent, Yin, and promised to send her a story even though she doesn't know what it's going to be about yet And, despite Yin's protestations Ash plans to write the story on her new typewriter Ash also manages to procure a meeting with a repairman, Boomer Gordon who goes over the problems with her ancient house and the steep bill for the necessary repairs. In the process, he also points out an odd, hastily built wall in the basement that potentially blocks off most of the underside of Ash's home. That rough wall is a fascinating quandary, but Ash's attentions are only for the typewriter waiting for her in the high garret and the story of one Jacob Morgan. Without further ado, Scars in Time, Chapter 10, The Debtor. Jacob Morgan felt death draped over him like an old, wet towel. He'd watched his father die of a heart attack when he was 15 right in front of him. The old man clutched his burned-out chest and fell into the pile of purchase orders and tax forms strewn across his desk at Reliant Used Motors. The secretary didn't even have to tell the 911 operator the address. Everybody in the city knew the slogan. Reliant Used Motors, of i 90 north of Bozeman. Jacob spent most of his life thinking death would catch him in the same way. Suddenly, No dicking around, no back and forth, no haggling. Life had been all about haggling, and he hoped to God death would be one of those clear and easy deals. Everything up front, no strings, just sudden, intense pain and then sweet, cold freedom from anything for all of eternity. Death came with a handshake for Jacob Morgan. It sealed the deal that way, as tight and final as the sudden, implosive end that had come for his father. When he met Death, just another stubby, unimpressive man like himself, he found Death to be affable and interesting. A guy on the move and only ever moving up, 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 friend. And when Death finally swirled that wet, swampy cloak of his over Morgan's shoulders, he played like they were old friends and he was doing him a favor. Mr. Morgan? The judge said, the fifth in his many years. Morgan's eyes were like the tinted glass in the courtroom windows, barely letting in any light. He couldn't remember this one's name, but he was fatter than most. He looked like a frog, in fact. Thankfully, all Morgan ever had to say to this procession of officious blood letters was simply, Yes, Your Honor. And, no, Your Honor. Everything else was just signatures and attendance and the blanket. Wet and reeking and cold yes your honor Morgan said are these proceedings boring you the judge asked he had long pillowy eyebrows arching over his blue eyes Morgan sat up straight and drummed his thumbs on the table yes your honor he said the judge narrowed his eyes and Morgan gave him his best smile Most of the light had gone out of it, but it could still be called on at times. That boyish, hey-come-on, smile that people might call disarming if they were stupid, and oily if they weren't. The difference between those kind of people is that, of the two, only the former were paraded in and out of these courtrooms every few days to sit and bitch and cry and moan in the witness stands. The smart ones knew anybody with half a brain could look at Jacob Morgan know to keep their distance I won't have anybody sleeping in my courtroom the judge said especially if they snore you understand that counsel Morgan's lawyer nodded and kicked Morgan under the table for probably the millionth time since this fiasco had begun five years back the bygone time when Morgan's name had been one of the tiniest offhand mentions at the bottom of an indictment form, Then all the other higher blocks had fallen and fallen on him, leaving him as the only stone left to bleed beneath the pile. "'I'm sorry, Your Honor,' Morgan said. He drifted away regardless, though he did try to keep his eyes open this time. When the next woman in the parade, maybe 70 and clutching a green handbag to her chest like a mantis, approached the bench, she sat and stared at him. The same stare they all had, like he dicked them down raw and they at least wanted him to remember their name. It had made him uncomfortable for the first year, but now there was just the blanket, cool and dank. Anything else was dressing. I existed in a fugue state, as I wrote, which wasn't an uncommon feeling. My body was just another chunk of data alongside the story. There were revisions, mistakes, edits. But they were none of them real. Merely slight delays in the tick of a clock nobody, not I nor Mr. Morgan in his courtroom, could see. I swallowed and my throat hurt. Actually, I couldn't swallow at all because of how dry my mouth was. I reached for the water flask I'd brought upstairs and found it was empty. I turned back to the page... I was both here and there with Morgan as he rested against the side of the courthouse, smoking a cigarette and watching a car swerving side to side in the slush as it tried to accelerate past a green light. I watched the ugly, ancient silver sedan trying to pull itself out of its endless stoppage and wondered if it made sense to him. If the metaphor that was so obvious to me also worked for Morgan. He sniffed and wiped his nose juggling the cigarette to clear a gob of snot off the used-to-be-nice camel-hair coat he'd worn today. He held the cigarette out at length so that the chair he sat under the car's spinning tires, imagining the heat could melt away the thick chunks of ice and slush frozen up inside the wheel wells. The car itself was old enough he wondered if it was one of his old man's sales from back in the last days before the heart attack. The light flipped to red with the car still spinning its tires in the middle of the intersection. The vehicle had swung sideways along its angle of travel, and now Morgan could see the elderly woman in the driver's seat as she gritted her teeth and steadily pumped the wheel from side to side. Then the car caught traction on a patch of unspoiled road and shot toward the next light. Morgan watched the car until it disappeared and then finished his cigarette, burying it in the gutter slush at the end of the sidewalk. Good for you, old lady, he muttered under his breath. Turning to walk back inside the building, he thought better of it at the last second. Checking his watch and deciding the old judge, the lawyers, and the parade of shitheels suing him to death could all fucking wait a few more minutes while he had another cigarette. I hissed and stood up, snatching the plastic water jug off the desk and hurrying down to the second floor. My bladder had filled near to bursting while I was writing, and I could all but see the hands of the doomsday clock counting down to when I'd piss myself. I got to the bathroom just in time, sighing with relief but still trying to go as fast as I could to get back to the story. I knew where we, literally where Morgan and I, were heading. Both of us were destined to meet on separate balconies at a hotel in the heart of West Virginia. But I didn't know how... We got there, or why he did what he did immediately after that meeting. It was killing me not knowing. So I got back to it. Back to where Morgan was a few days later, drinking on a Sunday morning and watching Sports Center reruns in his underwear. By the time his lease was up, he knew he'd either be dead or in jail, and knowing he could at least leave that debt unsettled was somehow very relaxing. Everything else was worrying. The inevitable federal trial was only a year or so away. He was only a free man right now because the state authorities, who had the best case, had declined to prosecute in lieu of the FBI pursuing charges. Those would be fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion. The tax evasion, he knew, would get dismissed because his lawyers said it was mostly a technicality and would drag the trial out for a few months longer than necessary. The fraud charges, real estate fraud, carried out across state lines and in about ten states, were all the FBI needed to guillotine him. If God was kind, that all would have happened first. Just send me to jail, he'd joked with the prosecutors when they'd first sat him down and explained how hard he was about to get fucked by the long dick of the law. By the time they'd finished and he'd called his old business partner, he'd amended his wish to... Actually, just take me out back and and fucking shoot me. The TV blinked and then turned blue. Morgan sighed and closed his eyes, turning his face up to the ceiling. He set his feet on the pile of unopened mail on the table. His socks, the same ones he'd been wearing for about three days now, were probably resting on the cancellation notice for the cable service. He sighed and scratched his balls and dragged himself to the shower, not wanting to smell too drunk to be served when he went out to the bar. I paused when I heard the knocking downstairs. Then I went and dealt with Boomer, my head still in the story as much as it had ever been. Morgan walked to the bar, letting his face freeze in the wind. It was a shithole dive full of losers that didn't watch enough news to recognize him. He wasn't an especially newsworthy criminal. The local rags just drummed out something on him every year to keep his wounds fresh and to open the fuckers. Morgan, the bartender said. The guy had ugly hands, a low voice, and worked so much Morgan figured he owned the place. People blew in and out through the front door while Morgan sat for drinks in the first corner spot. "'Thankful the cracked radiator humidity of the bar "'was warmer than his apartment. "'Guy's here looking for you,' the bartender said, "'pointing to the opposite corner of the bar. "'Morgan looked and saw a man built like a stick bug. "'Even in the dim, shitty bar light, "'Morgan could see the outlines of the guy's shoulder blades "'through the back of his chalk-striped suit. "'And?' Morgan asked, pointing to one of the taps. The bartender filled him a glass of something flat, lukewarm, and cheap. He started on it and closed his eyes, relishing every dull sip of poison. Folks come and go around here, the bartender said. But they don't often come back.
4: Most people figure one visit's enough. You're the first regular I've had in a hundred years, feels like. And for some reason, now you've got
3: people showing up to pay you a visit. Morgan rolled his eyes at the bartender and then looked at the man in the corner. The guy sat as still as a crow on a post. People follow me goddamn everywhere, bud, Morgan said. Don't you read the news? I got dead collectors the way most guys got pinworms. The bartender didn't laugh. Or so much as react. Just kept staring at him. This kept on long enough that Morgan eventually sighed and relented. Fine, just... Just pour me another one and I'll go get him to fuck off or whatever. Okay? He swallowed the rest of the beer he'd been drinking and grabbed the fresh glass. He tried to thank the bartender, but the man was already gone to the other end of the bar, talking to some guy with a guitar Morgan hadn't seen come in. The guy was holding his hand to his side like he had a terrible cramp and seemed to notice Morgan looking at him. The guitarist turned and Morgan saw the man's irises were all torn, hanging over his pupils like ruined curtains. He shuddered and went to the tall man sitting at the table in the corner. Morgan tried clearing his throat to get the guy's attention, but the man didn't so much as look behind him. Well, that's not totally true. There was a tick just as Morgan breathed in, in the man's shoulders. Small, but there, looking as though all the flesh on the man's upper back had suddenly undulated like a squid's tentacle. Morgan gave a second thought to just walking back to the bar, settling up and leaving, but he didn't want to piss off the bartender. This place was the only one in town that still served him, where people didn't sneak up on him to pour drinks down his shirt or about his bar stool from underneath him. It was dank and lonely. A single wooden door set into the side of an alley wall. His home away from home. His only home, really. He walked around the table and sat down. "All right, you found me," he said, scooting the old bar seat around in a way that made a terrible screech. He took a drink. Jacob fucking Morgan, the swindler. Did I fuck over some family member of yours? Or are you a reporter? Or... Morgan choked on his beer when he finally looked at the man's face. He set the glass down. The man across from him really did look like a stick bug in a suit. Or at least that's the only thing Morgan's mind could drum up. It was almost, in fact, like the suit was the man's flesh arranged over clever, inhuman bones that had clicked and popped into place to make a mere facsimile of a person. Most unsettling was the man's expression. A small, almost slack smile where the fleshy, bluish lips didn't quite cover his top teeth. The eyes above were green, wide, and round. Luminescent, almost, like glowing rings burning through the milky white balls. Hello, Morgan, the man said. How have we been? Good, Morgan said. The man's voice was as low and slack as the lips covering his teeth, which themselves barely moved during speech. Morgan felt the flesh on his back crawl and, almost on cue, There was a similar involuntary twitching of flesh beneath the man's eye, sort of skittering, there and gone in an instant. Do we... Do we know each other? No, the man said. His forearms lay flat on the table, though on their sides. The man's hands were slack and curled inward so the fingertips rested against the wrists. But I know you, of course. The man's soft smile widened, and a noise broke in his throat that Morgan realized was laughter. Doesn't everybody... Ah, uh, yeah, Morgan said, looking around the bar for a reason to break off this conversation. He rolled his fingers on the table and smiled. So, now that's out of the way, we can get to whatever it is you, uh, want. He tried to sound confident, aloof, but the drink was getting to him. He thought he could see that same rippling throughout the man's entire body now, here and there, but always small and just out of sight.
4: I have a brother...
3: The man said,
4: Who is always hungry. So he's always eating, eating until everything is gone.
3: Morgan listened, transfixed. The man's low voice was almost hard to hear, but still terribly impressive. Morgan felt he could hear it in his bones told him that's
4: ridiculous, because one day he'll eat everything, and there won't be any food left, and he'll still be
3: hungry. Okay, Morgan said softly. So, I tell him, why don't you eat yourself? The man said. Smile widening just a touch. This time, Morgan thought he saw the brilliant green circles of the man's irises wriggling. They looked like the audio wave readout on a stereo for just a second. Then the effect was gone.
4: Not way. You'll have plenty to eat. The man continued. <sighs> once you're finished with that meal, you'll never be hungry again. He paused. And you know what he said
3: to me? That you're crazy? Morgan said. The man twisted his head slowly to the right until the vertebrae in his neck suddenly popped with a noise like snapping twigs. Then he turned his face back toward Morgan. (sighs)
4: Yes,
3: the man said.
4: My brother can't really think outside the box. Most of our family can't really they
3: all stay in their lanes. I think you'd understand it. Okay, I'm going back to the bar. Morgan said, ready to leave half a beer at the table just to get away from this person. But when he stood, he felt the man's hand wrap around his wrist. When he looked down, the man's arms were right where they'd been all along. Though one of them was stretched more than three whole feet Past the end of the sleeve Morgan could feel the bones grinding in his wrist Sit down, Morgan The man said And Morgan did The hand released him and slid back up into the sleeve The fingers remained as slack as those on the other hand Though he could see a few of them trembling slightly Please, (laughs) uh,
4: don't be frightened, the man said. What you might find most alarming about me is merely a symptom of my condition. If you could be anything, at any time, in any place, then why be
3: here why this the limp fingers gestured to the man's main body as Morgan had started thinking of it I
4: have I have some trouble holding myself together at times he continued but you know uh
3: yourself together, don't you, Morgan? Morgan swallowed and looked quickly around the bar. It seemed darker and more distant than usual. He took a drink of beer and then drummed his fingers on the table. Eventually, he nodded. Yeah, sure, he said. Wouldn't you? If you were me? Yes, the man said. Which is why I'm here. To talk to you. The man's fingers rolled onto the table and drummed over the surface in a perfect imitation of Morgan's fingers.
4: Ah, I need an executor. A man I can set to certain tasks. Tasks that require a level of Detachment. He smiled. I am retired. I'll take on existing debts and transfer them to myself. Work will
3: set you free. Morgan laughed. (laughs) Do you even know what kind of debts I have? He asked. Aside from all the money I'm Eventually, going to lose money. I, I can't even legally spend aside from a court-mandated allowance. I'm looking at owing the government something in the range of uh, 20 years of my fucking life. <laughs> Morgan laughed, a sound that was almost like crying. He finished his beer. I'll tell you what, he said. You get rid of all that, and and I'll I'll, I'll do whatever you want. This time he stood, and the man, if you could call it that, didn't stop him. But you can't, so I won't. The green eyes merely flashed in response. But
4: but if I did, would you agree to those terms?
3: The man said, There was no world outside of those rings of green. They were all the earths and worlds between. The space around them was black and endless. If
4: I cleared your current nets, would you do
3: whatever I want? Sure, Morgan said. Though his voice wasn't confident The man's arm lifted from the table And he extended his hand
4: Shake on
3: it The man said And they did
2: That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
3: Wow, what a great story. But I have no fucking idea what's going on in it to you. Maybe it'd be a little easier to understand if I had access to a, a written version of the show follow along with and read back through? Maybe even some I I don't know! Behind the story information to clear up some of my my fucking questions. Oh, wait. Right there. Yes, (laughs) it says right there. Join the West Side Fairy Tales Patreon today and get access to behind the story audio programs and fully laid out chapters of this story, Scars in Time and most of the West Side Fairy Tales back catalog for just five measly dollars a month. Wow, what a deal. Oh, it even says here you can get special merch packs and signed posters if you give a a, a more generous donation. Uh, that means he needs your money, people. This isn't a fucking charity. Okay, go to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales today and subscribe for excellent behind-the-story content and more. That's patreon.com Slash West Side Fairy Tales. Link is in the description. And don't forget to watch my show if it's for... Ah, come on! I'm not doing this for free! Now back to our story, already in progress. Morgan woke the next morning, remembering only a handful of the drinks he'd bought after the man had let him walk away. He stumbled into his apartment's living room and flicked on the lights, trying not to step on the garbage as he pressed the button to turn on the television. He'd almost forgotten the bills had finally gone too long overdue the day before, but... to his surprise, the TV flicked on. He watched it for a moment and then dropped the remote on his couch. It was a live feed from the courthouse downtown, with the caption... Heldstrom to plead guilty on all counts in Orange Mountain real estate conspiracy. Morgan's legs all but gave out, and he collapsed on the pile of cardboard boxes beside his couch. Heldstrom, Douglas Heldstrom, was his old business partner. The hand of death, in his own mind at least, that he'd shaken all those years ago. The hand that had cost him everything. But Hellstrom had fled well ahead of the raids, leaving only the large corporate backers and their teams of attorneys and sad little Jacob Morgan for the public to flay. The scroll of text at the bottom of the story continued into other stories, Sir so Morgan turned up the volume. A woman's voice clarified the story in medius res. Though larger companies, including big money names such as Blackwell Holdings and the Corsican Group, are implicated in the matter, Douglas Heldstrom's testimony that he was solely responsible irreparably damaged the federal case against the larger entities. The camera switched to a man Morgan recognized as the FBI investigator running the case. He'd sat across from the guy maybe a hundred times as his life was picked to pieces hour by hour. It's weird to think of this as something of a loss, the man said. There are more people, uh, more uh, entities who should be sitting at that defendant's table, but we can only work with the information we have. Eldstrom's confession isn't, I'd say, the end of the Orange Mountain investigation, but there's a pin in it now for sure. Morgan flipped the television off and sat in the dark of his apartment, watching the thin light that slipped through the blinds climbing up the wall. After maybe an hour, his phone began to ring. He waited for it to stop, but it didn't.
4: Children, children, gallop around and place your hand in the air. That's right, fingers splayed wide, wide, wide so the wind can pass between them. Carry that sweet scent of trade on to the nose of the witcher. We are gathered here today in non-existence, awaiting the strike of the pen, the clatter of the keyboard, the moment when I might be introduced to the ears of the masses, so that our work can spring forth anew in the hearts of millions. But we are carried on the wings of angels, say true, Our words must be electrified. Amen. Our words must be clarified. Amen. Our words must be carried wide. Amen. So go out there, little brothers, little sisters, and spread the gospel on social media. Put us on Reddit. Put us on the Facebook. And put us on the Twitter, praise her. Share us far and wide so that I might become in my story made clear. At WS Fairy Tales on Twitter, Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook and Instagram. The link tree is in the description. Praise her name. Praise her, mm, praise her, yes. And let us together drive this sin from Guncotton. womb. Raise your hands now. Raise your hands.
3: Now back to our story, already in progress. The banging on the door downstairs was insistent, constant. It took me a second to pull myself out of the story enough to realize it was something real I was hearing, and not just an effect of the writing. Then I was in my garret again, blinking as the translucent windows faded to black on Jacob Morgan's apartment. The stack of paper beside my typewriter was thick enough I was worried I'd soon run out. The banging continued. "'Darcy!' I said to myself, cursing and then almost running downstairs without my lantern. I turned on a dime and grabbed it, scuttling down four stories of ladder and stairs until I was standing, panting at my, our, front door. It was Darcy, and she was pissed. "'Here,' she said, thrusting a bag into my arms. Inside the chilly plastic, I could feel the radiant warmth of takeout food and styrofoam trays. Thanks, I said, but Darcy was already gone to the kitchen. Hey, Darcy, hey! I followed after her quickly, trying to hold the lantern so she could see. The lights worked in the kitchen, but they weren't on, and I didn't want her to run into anything. Then she was in the kitchen, and they were on, and I could see that Darcy didn't just have takeout, but also a little brown bag holding a pair of wine bottles. She set them on the table in the center of the kitchen and dug around in the drawers for a bottle opener. I pointed out where it was, and she found it, getting to work on the bottles while I scurried around her to grab the wine glasses. I got two, even if I didn't know if I was supposed to. Do you know how long I was banging on the fucking door, Ash? She asked, going for a full hillbilly pour in her glass, like it was beer instead of wine. I opened my mouth to apologize, but she held up a finger. Sorry, I didn't fucking phrase that correctly. Do you know how long I was banging on the door the second fucking time? I felt the blood go out of my face. I was mortified. Oh, my God, Darcy, I said. I'm, I'm so sorry. I stopped by after work to see if you wanted to go to dinner, Darcy said. She was finishing the glass by the mouthful and, soon enough, pouring herself another. Actually, I was stopping by to take you to dinner at this nice, fancy place at the top of the hill. The mayor's place, in fact, on his invitation Darcy, I'm sorry, but how was I supposed to know? I started. Because I would have fucking told you if I could get in the fucking door, Ash. She yelled. I looked down at my feet and then went to the prep table, filling my own glass. I could get yelled at, sure. I probably deserved it. But I wasn't getting yelled at sober. Darcy waited until I had finished pouring my glass, and then took the bottle and her glass and went into the pitch black of the dining room. I snatched up my lantern and my glass and followed her. I'm just so sick of standing in that fucking kitchen, Darcy said. She pulled out the chair at the head of the table and sat. I sat beside her, sipping at my own drink like a whipped child trying not to incur another beating. And I'm sick to fucking death of eating alone, Ash. She continued. These words weren't harsh, so much as sad. There was hurt in her eyes. I'm sorry, Darcy, I said, fumbling around in my pocket for the key. I found it and handed it to her, but she wouldn't take it. You're not... Uh, mm. She said, I don't just care that you locked me out of the house. Even as she said it, I couldn't remember if that was true. I could have sworn I'd left the door open after the repairman, Boomer, had left. Or had I? I could honestly only remember half the day now, mixed as it seemed with the story I'd been writing.
4: Ash! Ash!
3: She snapped. Literally snapped, clicking her fingers in front of my face. She sighed. This. This is what I mean, babe. You're. always only. half there anymore. Or. I don't know. Maybe you've always been like this. Now I'm just sensitive to it because of the move, but. It's hard, babe. It's hard to be alone. To be alone even when you're with someone. Jesus, Darcy, I said, looking around as though the shadows in the corners of the room might at least have my back in this argument. If you feel like that, you've got to tell me. I'm I'm sorry I haven't been there. No, no, Darcy said. She was on her third glass now, and the bottle was empty. It might be a lot for other women, but Darcy was fine drinking that much, that fast. It's... I knew what I was getting into when we got married, and I... I didn't mind helping you, taking care of you when you needed taking care of. I wanted to snap back at that comment, would have, if it weren't for how true it was. Despite my independent streak, I was sick. And I knew Darcy helped me as much or even more than she helped herself. But I'd never heard her say it out loud like that, how much of a burden I could be. I'm sorry, I said. No, she said, sighing. Don't apologize for being sick. It's... I knew that was part of falling in love with you, babe. You leave sometimes when you get interested in something. And whatever it is you find when you leave, it always seems more important to you than me. She let the bottle drip into her glass. I just don't want to be left out in the cold, okay? I nodded and she looked at me inside. I could tell she was feeling bad about saying all that. What? what did you do today she asked I started writing again I said Darcy looked down at her glass and shook her head Jesus Ash she said I'm sorry I wouldn't have gone off like that if I knew no I said it's okay you're right I should have left the door open for you, but I don't know if I forgot or what. It's just been a busy day. Yeah? She asked, further inviting the change of topic. Yeah, I said. I went to the library, first off. You, um, I didn't have a phone to do stuff like call the repairman, but I found one there. Darcy started to say something, but I held up a hand and shook my head. "'No, it's it's fine,' I said. "'I managed real well by myself. "'I even called Suyin and told her I was writing a new book. "'Uh, a whole book, huh?' Darcy asked. "'I nodded and smiled, but at the table, not her. "'Yeah,' I said. "'About what?' "'I have no fucking idea.' I admitted with a laugh. She chuckled, too. I don't even know if Suyin believed I was writing anything at all. I drummed my fingers on the table, shivering when I thought of Morgan and that bar and that green-eyed man. I cleared my throat. She says hi, by the way. Well, hello, Darcy said, rolling her eyes at the room and laughing some herself. She cocked her head to the side. Wait, how are you writing? The typewriter, I said. I, uh, found a typewriter in the attic. Remember? I couldn't remember if I'd told her or not, come to think of it. But she nodded all the same. She would have probably nodded either way. Well, I found some basic supplies for the thing and I've been, you know... Clattering away all day, basically. Really? She asked, crossing her arms. Really? I said, smiling. It's, uh, been real fun. I sighed. Up until I didn't hear you knocking. I ran my hand through my hair and gave her an apologetic smile. She rolled her eyes and took that same hand, pulling it across the table and pushing her lips to my knuckles. She squeezed my fingers. So, wait, did you find a desk in here or something? She asked. Looking around the dining room, I realized, for the typewriter. Did you have it just sitting on your lap or something? No, (laughs) no, I laughed. No, there's actually a little office on the fifth floor of the house. Her eyes widened. Seriously, there's a garret there with a desk and a chair and everything. I found it when the guys were moving our stuff in yesterday. I didn't mention what else I'd found along with it. Though I hadn't been able to find the note since the umbrella was folded and tucked into the corner by the desk. That's... Insane. <sighs> Darcy said, yawning. Do you want to come see it? I asked now sounding like an energetic eight-year-old. She smiled and shook her head. No, she said. My plan was to, well, my second plan was to come home and have a drink with you while you ate. But now I'm totally exhausted. I think I have just one set of stairs left in me, and that's it for the day. She squeezed my hand and gave me a tired smile. I'll check it out tomorrow, though, okay? "'Sure,' I said, smiling. "'Glad, really, that she'd forgiven me at least a little bit. "'So are you going to hang out with me while I eat?' "'I don't think so, Ash,' she said, "'looking at the last scarlet puddle of wine at the bottom of her glass. "'She tipped it back, stood, and stretched. "'I'm dying to go to bed, honestly.' It was a rough day, and you know I hate arguing. I nodded and stood with her, cleaning the empty bottle and glasses off the table. I left those in the kitchen and walked upstairs with Darcy, guiding her with the lantern. She actually seemed like she might fall asleep on the spot. "'Are you coming to bed?' she asked. "'I'm going to eat first,' I said. "'Whatever that is, it smells amazing.' Well, enjoy, Darcy said. She kissed the corner of my lips. Don't stay up too late. She flipped on the light on her phone inside the bedroom and found her way to bed on her own. I watched for a second longer and then shut the door behind me, walking back down to the kitchen and thinking of Jacob Morgan's lonely apartment and the sound of a ringing telephone.
4: Hey. Hey you. There's new merch in the merch store. So go fucking buy some, you hear me? You wanna, you wanna fucking shirt, bro? You wanna sick fucking shirt, bro? Go to the fucking merch store and check out our new shirt. It's a collage of all that pretty hard work Missy Uwe puts together for season four. Fucking beautiful. You wanna be fucking beautiful, don't ya? Then go buy a shirt. You want to stay fucking beautiful? You better buy two fucking shirts. You better buy a fucking mug too and a fucking beanie. Don't let me find out you aren't wearing the merch. You better go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and buy something. Yeah. westsidefairytales.com slash merch. See you soon.
3: Now back to our story already in progress. She was standing beside the table when I got there. The blonde girl. She was holding the second bottle of wine and leaning slightly forward on her toes. Gray-white fabric, almost like goose down, fell from her shoulders and rolls. Mixing with her hair so cleanly the two materials became indiscernible. She turned to me, and I saw she was wearing simpler, more conservative clothing than I had expected. Worn out jeans and a loose yellow top that stood in stark contrast to the downy gray robe thing that hung from her neck to her ankles. She wasn't wearing shoes. Thirsty? She asked. I had frozen in the doorway. Not quite able to process whether she was really here or not. She seemed to hear the question without my asking it and answered, Of course I'm here, Ash. Can't you hear it? She rested a finger on her chin and swept it slowly up her cheek, pushing aside her hair and tucking it behind her ear. She raised her finger toward the ceiling. I could hear it, the steady chatter of the typewriter. I shivered and took a breath as she dropped her hand and turned to me, working the cork out of the bottle. She gave me a vicious grin and took a swig. You want some, baby? She asked me, walking closer. Who are you? I asked. She rolled her eyes and put a hand on my shoulder. There were no tight bands of air, no electric waterfall. Her hand was warm and light she was digging her nails slightly into my skin.
4: I'm what you want,
3: she whispered, pushing her lips against mine. Her tongue snaked over my teeth, tasting like wine. I was frozen in place, not returning the kiss, not pushing her away. Eventually, she stepped back. You aren't real, I said. She gave me a pouty look and took my hand pressing it against her own cheek. The flesh was warm and soft beneath my cold fingers. "'Does that feel real?' she asked. Then she took my hand and raked her nails across the back so suddenly I couldn't react. I snatched my hand from her, stumbling back into the wall and nearly dropping my lantern. For the briefest second, her eyes turned on that lantern with an intense, almost physical greed." Then she was all sultry smiles and slow movements again. She held up her hand while I clutched my own, trying to stem the bleeding. Thin streamers of flesh dangled from her sharp, blue nails, and I grimaced as she slipped each one into her mouth to suck them clean. "'Get out of my house,' I said, my voice more forceful than I expected it to be. She sighed and took another swig of the wine." Then she set the bottle down and put her hand on her hip. "'Get back to work,' she hissed at me as she swept past. I held out my lantern to follow her passing, thinking she'd just zip out of sight like any Hollywood phantom. Instead, she left the front door, slamming it behind her so hard I felt the floorboard shake under my feet. When she had finally gone, I went to the prep table and took a massive swig of wine." Drinking until I nearly ran out of breath. When I finished, I gagged, bending over the table for a second and hoping I wouldn't puke. I didn't know if it was all the sudden drinking that did it, or the taste of my own blood on the throat of the bottle. Morgan sat in his apartment, hands on his knees and the television filling the room with a quiet hum. It was, like everything these days, both larger and smaller than what he'd been used to as a younger man. The thing was as thin as a small book, but still took up most of his wall where he'd had the installers bolted into place. It flicked through a series of images, brief monoseconds of programming from a panoply of channels. Reality television, the news, pictures of people smiling or laughing or screaming at each other. There was no sound. Simply the unrelenting onslaught of RBG color space flooding the room. His apartment had become a series of creams and whites and beiges over the years. Tidy squares that accomplished whatever task and just enough space to give way to the next. The living room rug was just large enough to cover the space where he'd walk so his feet didn't get cold in the winter. The hardwood floor was just large enough to hold the living room appliances and furniture. The kitchen, too, was much the same, and so was his bedroom, just a series of spaces that seemed as sparse as they were tight. He ground his teeth, thinking of the world outside the apartment walls, which were only just big enough to hold his functionally non-existent home life. They kept him bound so tightly he could almost feel them fluctuating with his every breath, more even than the still brown fabric covering his chest. The only deviation in all this colorless binding was the series of postcards in the hallway leading to his bedroom. These, held neatly in place along a two-inch grid by a rainbow of plastic thumbtacks, were the only colored affectations in the apartment. The only things, in fact which might give a visitor doubts that Morgan's living space wasn't just a series of soulless Ikea showrooms jammed together as if by cruel magics. There were exactly 254 of the things, which had come in once every month since that first phone call all those years ago. They hung on both sides of the hallway from the floor to the crown molding. All of them were glossy-fronted and colorful, though the light from the television and neon white high-efficiency bulbs in the ceiling the picture seemed almost entirely black. Their shadows cut angular, reaching spirals over the walls that led toward Morgan's bedroom. He had tried to make a semblance of a personal life since that first call, but the work had weighed on him so badly he had simply retreated from life outside altogether. Now he merely needed food and some mild diversions in the intervening months. For a while he had seen movies or read or hired the services of prostitutes. But in time, even those interests waned. Now, he simply let the television bathe him in its light. Taking any of those postcards off the wall, you'd find only two things on the back, always an address, without fail, even if the person at that address didn't know the address, an address. Those would be written out in the same crooked hand every time. And not once did he arrive and not find the addressee there. Sometimes, they were even waiting for him. The only other thing on the back of each was either a signature, his signature, in fact, or a single, bloody fingerprint. Never both. Either one or the other. Of all 254 postcards, the vast majority were signatures, and not the rust-brown fingerprints. Unlike the signatures, the fingerprints were never his. The phone rang and he sighed, possibly with relief, though that was doubtful. He picked up the receiver and placed it against his ear, shuddering when he heard the soft, crackling voice the same way he had every month for over twenty years. Then the call ended and he hung up the phone and turned off the television. "'grabbing the suitcases he'd left beside the door "'and leaving his apartment. "'He made one stop before getting in his car and driving away "'at the mail slots in the lobby. "'He found the fat manila envelope he expected "'and emptied it into his hand. "'There, along with a sheep of papers, a deed, "'and some doctor's business card, "'was the postcard he'd expected.' On the front was a picture of an incline railroad like the kind he'd seen in Pittsburgh the few times he'd visited. The text below it read, Welcome to Guncotton, West Virginia. And an additional bit of scrollwork in the corner reading, Wild and Wonderful. He flipped it over and read the address and the name at the top. Ash Little Tree. Then he put everything back together. Got in his car and drove. Coming up on Scars in Time The lines around Ash's reality blur and full as she finishes Morgan's story The cruel, beautiful ghost haunting her seems as made of flesh as Darcy As time moves on without Ash fully in the world The repairs to her home proceed on schedule But as the work crews pry deeper into the house an accident occurs that might push Ash through the thin walls of her own mind into somewhere else entirely. I hope you'll join us next episode for Scars in Time, Chapter 11, The Hole. And until then, as always, stay safe out there. The West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Original audio filmed on location in Sutton, West Virginia, and Louisville, Kentucky. Engineering and sound design by WSF Productions, LLC. Episode art by Huey Breedlove. All content herein copyright 2021 WSF Productions, LLC. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets. The dubious ethics of her own profession and the dark whispers of an ancient creature known to some as the Witching woman who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told and been telling doesn't make sense cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning Westside Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.